You're listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies, the Center for West European Studies, and the European Union Center at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu slash eu-west-europe. My pleasure once again to welcome Dr. Nico Switek to our EU forum. So he's going to be talking about the rise of green parties in Europe and EU politics, and especially in Germany, of course, the election um, coming up should be really, really interesting. Um, uh, Nico is a, a visiting assistant professor for German studies at the Henry M. Jackson School for International Studies and the Department of Political Science, um, as he just mentioned here at the University of Washington. So, and um, so we're, we are very fortunate to have you and, and thanks again for joining us, especially at this late hour, Nico. Yeah, sure. And I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I, I love being here. Thanks so much uh, for having me again, inviting me uh, to this wonderful workshop every year. Um, and like you said, I mean, this is the third time I'm presenting and it kind of marks the end of my uh, time at UW. So it's kind of a bittersweet um, uh, moment as well, because I, I really love my stay um, in uh, Seattle and, and at UW. So, um, I mean, you know, this is probably one of the most academics, academic statements ever. But um, I would say if you want to truly understand Green Parties, you need to take a look at their time of formation. Um, and Green Parties are still kind of one of the more recent addition to the uh, West European uh, party systems. So um, I have some pictures here I, I want to show you, and I would have asked you uh, if you recognize them or what you can tell me about them. But um, so I'm I'm going to do this. Um, and the the idea behind this is because we just talked about how the Greens are typically. Um, seen as representatives of an environmentalist and ecological movement, but you can see that kind of the roots uh, are a lot broader um, of this movement. So you can see, uh, I hope you can recognize this, kind of the um, anti-Vietnam War movement in the U.S., civil rights movements, women's rights. Um, you have the 1968 riots in, in France, um, and you have the anti-nuclear movement, you can see down here. Um, and this is Rudi Dutschke, a famous German socialist. Uh, he was head of the um, kind of the socialist student union. Um, so there were a lot of leftist uh, activists involved uh, in, in founding those parties. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this picture to the, um, on, the on the bottom right, um, kind of a, a new way to live together in Berlin, the Kommune One. Um, where the argument was, you know, it's not just about politics, but um, uh, the private life is political, right? So we even need to think about how we organize our lives, uh, how we live as families, and that's also a, a political question. So this was a, um, a very broad movement and kind of it was part of an extensive societal change we've seen in all Western industrialized uh, societies. Um, and a part of these protests were questions of ecological awareness, um, you know, how uh, humans use and care 
for the environment and of course this was often closely related to uh, questions of uh, nuclear power um, the, um, the question is how does this broader societal movement relate to the question of green parties and um, for this I have uh, three kind of seminal uh, publications on this so first of all um, it was Ronald Engelhardt who summed up these changes in his publication The Silent Revolution um, and his core argument was that through the extended period of economic growth and the extension of the welfare state the materialist needs of the population were satisfied and so people had the capacity to turn to other issues and questions so gender equality, environmentalism, criticism of capitalism, and other quality uh, of life issues. Um, and if, if we connect this to the model of Lipset and Rockan, uh, who came up with the cleavage, societal cleavage model um, to explain the configuration of party systems, uh, where they argue that there are some very specific and stable conflicts in the society that determine which parties will form. Uh, and will establish themselves on top of these conflicts and cleavages. Um, for instance, I mean, the classical conflict is, of course, between workers and employers or capitalists, where we see the socialist parties that came up. Um, and in this sense, the established parties in the 1960s and 70s were materialist parties, um, and they did not or they weren't able to represent these new issues and there was a new post-materialist realm uh, where there was demand for new political force to represent this um, these groups and and issues and those were kind of this was the 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 realm for for the green parties um, there's one more important uh, um, point though and it, the the thing is it was not just about these issues but because of this value change, there were increased demands for political participation as well. So the activists didn't just want to see their issues represented, but they wanted to be part of the decision making and were not just looking for new uh, representatives. And Rucht um, described these new social movements and their emphasis on grassroots uh, democracy um, beyond the question of issues um, that had ramifications for the organization of, of politics. Uh, and I'm, I'm telling you all this because it kind of still features or explains the role of green parties um, today. So um, one important thing to keep in mind is when we talk about green parties and we want to understand the success of green parties today, they're not simply about environmentalism or uh, ecolo ecological questions, um, but there's um, environmentalism is more like a shared bond that bubbled to the top but there are many other topics that these parties uh, represented. Uh, so you can see uh, these um, um, squares kind of represent those different routes. So you have ecological issues, but then you have pacifism, um, the white square, you have feminism, and you have all these splinter leftist, communist, socialist groups that were attracted by these new parties as well. And you might be surprised there's even this brown square um, so there were even some folkish, you would say in German, folksy racial groups um, that tried to capture or be active in these new uh, movements. 
Um, and I think that speaks to an interesting ambivalence um, about environmentalism. We often associate it with progressive policies, but there is also a nationalist, nativist framing. Think about our landscape, our nature, our forest that we have to save from these strange foreigners. And we see that with the increased saliency, we just talked about the, the flooding, um, of climate change issues, even far-right parties have to react or respond. And one group simply denies climate change, um, but another group kind of tries to incorporate uh, those questions, but in a nativist, nativist extremist, right extremist um, way. It, historically, those groups left the parties because, you know, the, the, the left groups just became so overwhelmingly strong that they didn't feel um, uh, interested in, in those parties um, anymore. And um, to kind of, you know, say it's more than ecology, Kitchell kind of uh, used the term left libertarian party. So often that's an equivalent. We can say it's green, ecological, but also left libertarian um, parties. Um, and then uh, to uh, describe this new style of politics, uh, Thomas Pogundke coined the term alternative politics. And just to give you some visual impressions how the Greens in Germany in the 80s entered the, the political sphere um, and upset the political sphere, I, I have those pictures where you can see, you know, the first party congress where the party was founded, very chaotic, everybody wanted to talk, um, you know, there's no clear leadership, um, everybody's talking, everybody wants to be heard. The first parliamentarians in 1983 you know, featuring uh, wool sweaters and long beards in a very formal uh, German parliament, right? You, you can see the other parliamentarians are very upset to see those uh, figures in the parliament. And then very iconic German picture, uh, Joschka Fischer, who later became a very prominent uh, um, uh, foreign minister in a, in a national government. Uh, when he was, uh, he gave his oath of office uh, as environmental minister in Hesse, you can see that he's wearing a jeans and sneakers. Uh, and those sneakers are actually in a museum in Germany now. So you can see it's a different, very different style that is symbolized by, by all doing things differently. Um, and uh, this is not just about uh, optics, but uh, the, the Green parties and not just the German Green Party set up very different uh, party organizations. So they experimented with novel instruments. Um, more influence for the party congress or the assembly. Um, you can see, I hope you can see this, uh, uh, voting rights. So typically all members could go to a party congress and vote. Um, you know, they wouldn't be delegates. So more direct democracy or collective leadership. Um, you can see that uh, speakers, typically the party would have four or six speakers and often with gender quotas um, uh, as well. And a lot of these elements were shed over time, but uh, especially the collective leadership is still a signature issue of green parties. And that made the decision in Germany who became leading candidate very difficult because you had two party leaders. And if you have you know, a party that is doing well in the polls, you have to kind of pick one of, of the two. So collective leadership is still a feature of uh, green parties and the roots are in these alternative um, politics. Um, and the, the gender quota, I mean, you typically will see that green parties have the highest percentage of female parliamentarians and also the highest percentage of female voters. So they are more attractive um, to, to women as, as parties. 
So the, um, of course, this is kind of talking about the 80s and there were radical outsider parties doing things very differently. And then the question is, there was a lot of research, well, um, how did they establish themselves as forces in, in the party system? And I really like this uh, analysis by, by Kitschild um, from his book, The Logics of Party Formation. And he tries to kind of isolate some factors that help to explain in which countries the Greens were very successful and in what countries they had a harder time. So you can see um, kind of the first two factors, GNP, um, gross national product and social security expenditure kind of speak directly to our um, idea of post-materialism, right? The richer a country and the more social security expenditure, the more time people have to think about post-materialist issues. Um, and you can see that he always has this high-low and kind of tries to see what country fits in what um, category. Um, what's interesting, he adds strike activity and left parties in government. And that's an um, interesting argument he makes. And he says, um, if the left party, social democrat, socialist, was in government at the time the Greens were founded, they were less able to react to these new demands, right? Because if you're in opposition, you can also talk about environmental, but if you're in government, you know, your positions have uh, consequences for governing. And so, um, especially in those countries where there were left parties in government, there was a bigger opportunity for green parties to establish themselves with their kind of leftist um, roots. And then he finds that especially the intensity of the nuclear contro controversy, um, the nuclear conflict um, played a big role. And if you think back to the pictures I showed you in the beginning, you know, there were a lo lot of marches and protests against building of those power plants very strong in Germany. For instance, not as strong in France that relied heavily or still relies heavily on nuclear energy. So that wasn't that much a mobilizing element um, in, in France. And then you can see um, in the end, he kind of uh, adds up, uh, you know, those different factors. And you can see indeed those countries uh, that, that where all these factors uh, were um, uh, high or low in the case of strike activity, um, we have strong green parties. And, um, you know, the uh, uh, United States kind of in the middle, but UK uh, or the other countries, um, we don't see strong uh, uh, Green Party. So kind of the, the, the factors for the establishment um, kind of helping us to explain in which countries today we see um, uh, strong Green Parties. And there's another typology by Peterson, which I kind of like uh, understanding parties uh, with uh, a lifespan and having different stages of, of a party uh, development. And he says there's the declaration phase or stage, the authorization stage, representation and relevance. Um, and, you know, we can see that kind of the pictures I showed you, the 1970s were the stage of declaration, the parties, Green parties emerged from the social movements, and there were a lot of discussions if and how uh, a party should be uh, set up. Um, and we also saw this phase again in the 1990s in Eastern Europe, when we had the new democracies in Eastern Europe, and then there were new party systems forming. And again, you had for the Green parties, or for all parties, a phase of, except for the maybe communist, post-communist parties, a phase of, of declaration. Um, and uh, we see, especially in Eastern Europe, that uh, Green parties still struggle today. Um, so often they're just on the stage of authorization, uh, they are registered, they compete in elections, 
but they maybe only attract one or two percent of the votes. And of course, we know this has to do with the post-materialist um, electorate, right? So if part, uh, if those countries are still struggling, are struggling to catch up to the uh, gross national product, the EU average, there's less room to to discuss quality um, or less interest in quality of life uh, issues. Um, and then, I mean, some there's a lot of countries, especially in Western Europe, where um, the Greens typically reach the stage of representation. So they have seats in the legislature. In the case of the UK, with majority voting, typically only maybe one representative. But if there's proportional representation, you typically have a, a parliamentary group. And then, of course, there's the stage of relevance. Um, for instance, um, influencing, strongly influencing legislation or even being part of coalition government. So in Germany and Sweden, Greens were part of, of the government, the national government. In Austria, the Greens are currently in a government with the Christian Democratic Party. Um, and so there's quite a range, you know, that's important to understand that the Greens as a party family have, have a differing strength depending on the, on the country you look at. And you can see, uh, I put up some logos here. So authorization, Seleni, uh, Patizieloni, so uh, Polish, um, uh, uh, Romanian Greens, they're small parties. Um, in, in Hungary, they're a bit bigger, or Green Party in the UK. Um, and then you kind of have the strong Green Parties in Austria, Sweden, or, or Germany. Um, right? But there's a strong imbalance within the Green um, Party family. You can also see this uh, with if we take a look at the uh, European elections uh, in 2019. Um, so European elections, of course, the elections uh, to the European Parliament, um, and they're very helpful in, in assessing or measuring uh, the, the relevance or strength of a certain party family, uh, because it is one election that is held in all countries on the same day. Uh, days and kind of with very similar rules. There's some differences, but they're very similar in the end. Um, but still, we have to interpret the results with caution because probably all of you know that um, um, scientists typically rate European elections as second order elections. On the one hand, they don't create a government like they typically do in, um, in the uh, national elections because the commission is selected in a different way. Um, and also, uh, voters don't often don't know what happens in the European Parliament, so they don't think their vote is that important. And often they experiment and they say, well, I'll vote for that smaller party, which I might not vote for in the national election. But that kind of leads to that second order um, uh, rating. And that leads to the Green parties typically being more successful in European elections than uh, in national elections. And you can see that the overall vote share was about 8%. So you know, single digit um, a party proportional representation. But then you can see that there's a high variance um, between the different um, national um, uh, uh, groups or, or delegations. So you can see um, Germany very strong 20%. Um, also, um, uh, you can see this is Estonia, uh, very strong, one of the few Eastern European uh, countries. Um, you have uh, Finland, for instance, the Scandinavian countries, the Green parties are typically strong. Um, uh, Luxembourg, uh, and then there's, uh, oh, sorry, no, this is Belgium. Uh, this is not Estonia, sorry, Ecolo, Belgium. Uh, it's so small on my screen. Um, this is Ecolo, but nevertheless, in Estonia, typically the, the Greens are strong. But you can see this is often kind of geared towards 
the, the, the Western European Green Party. So just as we would um, assume, the, the Polish Greens are, are kind of an outlier because they have an electoral alliance. So this is not kind of the true result for the Green Party. And then you can see here, it, it's really just like the two 1% results. Um, you know, that's uh, uh, Malta, uh, Romania, um, uh, Croatia, um, so, you know, this often the, the Eastern European Green parties uh, who truly struggle. So the, um, the, the model by Pedersen I talked about kind of very much focuses on the organizational structure of those parties. Are they represented in parliament? Are they a member of, of the government? government? But also we might be interest, interested in, in the question of policy position. So we started, started with saying they um, you know, raise new issues that weren't part of the political discourse before. Um, so what positions do those green parties or left libertarian parties actually represent? Um, and, you know, with the US uh, um, two-party system, it's often kind of this alternative, either or, you just have either I'm a Republican or I'm a de Democrat, but with multi-party system, there's like a bigger sphere of, of positions. Um, and, and what we typically do is to, um, starting with that cleavage model, kind of have two dimensions, how we describe the, the sphere of, of political competition. And the two most dominant dimensions are the socioeconomic and the sociocultural. That's how I plotted uh, the party positions, kind of as aggregate of smaller individual positions. Um, and of course, socioeconomic is kind of the question, um, you know, how much uh, taxation uh, should there be? Uh, should, they, should it be higher or lower? How much, how much state involvement should there be in, in the market? And, and sociocultural, um, is kind of the question, you know, am I, do I have more traditional authoritarian pos positions or am I more geared towards progressive values? How is a family supposed to look like? What about the role of women in, in the society? Just very um, uh, kind of overall description. And here you can see this is data from the Comparative Manifesto Project. So they collect all election manifestos for uh, um, free elections and kind of code them. And then you can generate these positions. And you can see that I kind of plotted all the positions and then um, I added the, the parties in green. And so this is kind of, kind of what we can see that they um, uh, you know, are very progressive. Uh, and of course, it could be interesting to look at the individual countries, but they tend to be uh, progressive, but they also tend to be to the left. Um, and you can see that they kind of fill this um, uh, bottom left quadrant, right? So progressive uh, and uh, kind of to the left, but you can see there's still room. So there's still post-communist socialist parties that are to the left. And there's also some centrist green parties. You can see that. Um, and so we can um, try to take a closer look just at the green parties. Um, and this might be a, a difficult uh, a figure, but um, just uh, I'll try to explain it. This is just for the green parties in the EU because we're kind of focusing on, on European and EU politics. And what I try to do here is have the same dimensions, just the green parties, and then kind of add a temporal dimension. Okay, so kind of the red would be the position at the founding phase in the 70s and 80s and then you can see the um the, the green is kind of the the early 2000s and now we're kind of in the blue right so the 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 the, the color will tell you um what time it is and 
uh, what, what year the, the program is from. And you can see what's interesting is that there's kind of a shift to the left, uh, which is kind of surprising. Could you, cause you, could, you could assume that the establishment of the party leads them to become more centrist, but you can see, uh, you know, they were very progressive and kind of not that far left. Think about all the different activists and even the, the nativist uh, activists in the beginning. And then you have these shift to the left. So they became more left and a little less progressive. And you can also kind of, there's an indication that there might be a convergence, right? Because the EU and the elections kind of, you know, shape the party families as well. So you can see uh, there's more a coherent position for the Green Party family, at least um, in, in the EU. Yeah, uh, that's a very vague analysis with this plot, but it, I, you can kind of see, I guess, the, the, the general idea. So one, um, I think, very good example for the threshold of relevance are the, the German Greens. Um, they, they entered a, a federal coalition with the Social Democrats in 1998, and they governed uh, until 2005. Um, and I mean, that could also be even a substage in relevance, uh, kind of reaching the executive stage. I mean, of course, you influence legislation with your group in parliament, but you're even more influential if you're part of, of the government. Uh, and you can see that indeed the, the Greens were able to implement some of their signature issues. So we have an end of nuclear power in Germany. So they're phasing out nuclear power and, you know, the, the nuclear power plants are step by step uh, going off grid. There was a reform of the citizenship law uh, to be more inclusive regarding migrants, guest workers that came to Germany in the 60s and 70s, um, um, accepting more diversity. Uh, and uh, a same-sex civil union. By now, there's also um, a, a gay marriage that's uh, um, that's kind of legalized or or an option. And at that time, it was just kind of uh, um, a little uh, not not equal to to um, regular marriage. Um, but also you could see that there was a lot of pressure being in government on the Green um, Party position. So for instance, uh, at that time, Germany for the first time um, was involved in military interventions in Kosovo and um, later in Afghanistan. And that put a big strain on the party with its pacifist roots, right? They're in government and Germany was very reluctant to use its army because of its, its history. And at that time there was a reorientation um, and a lot of uh, green activists left the party and there was um, uh, quite some um, uh, defectors in the parliamentary group that didn't even support all, all of these um, missions. Um, and also there were um, quite some extensive labor market reforms uh, dubbed hearts after the, the person who, who drew up the scheme for this. Um, Today, it's often hailed as kind of increasing Germany's competitiveness in the world, but it's very difficult for the left wing, which is very much focused on redistribution and social equality. And it's seen that these reforms kind of increased social inequality um, in, in Germany. So that was kind of the first uh, participation of the German Greens in government. And now we can ask the question, well, um, with the shift to, to the left um, and with the election results, is there maybe a changing of the guard, right? The, the social social democratic party was kind of the senior party the greens were kind of the the smaller party um, and now you can see that in in bavaria in 2018 the election result looked like this so the greens um, scored 17 percent so no more single digit party and the social democrats the senior party on national level at that time um, uh, 
only scores 9.7%. Uh, in, in HESSE, in that same year, you can see um, they're tied uh, for second place. And then the European election, this is just the result for Germany. You can see that again, um, you know, five uh, percentage points ahead, the Greens, and they're pretty close to the dominant Christian Democratic Party. The CDU is the party of Angela Merkel. Um, uh, and then uh, we talked about Fukushima in, in the beginning. So that's the one state in Germany where the Greens actually have the office of prime minister. So that's one regional party system where they are the strongest party. And kind of the first time they got that office was right after Fukushima. Um, but they managed to hold on to that office and they have a very um, uh, prestigious, prominent, popular Prime Minister Winfried Kretschmann. And you can see the last election, 32% uh, for the Greens in that party, uh, in, that, in that state. Um, and that kind of translates, if we look at the public opinion polling, because you all know that there's a, a national election, federal election in the fall, um, that kind of translates into the public opinion polling that the Greens are doing very well right now. Um, and for a long time. So it's not just a short-term um, increase, but you can see since 2018, um, and this is kind of an aggregate of all the different institutes, uh, the numbers have been going up uh, at times uh, even close to 25%, um, but they're kind of stable on this um, 17, 18, 19 uh, percent uh, level. So we can assume that maybe the strong results on um, regional level and on European level in for 2021 for the federal election might translate into um, a strong uh, result. But of course, what, what we've seen often with the Green Party is that they still have this um, image of alternative politics. So they still kind of proudly say we do think things differently. And especially looking at the, the, the climate crisis, they call for radical solutions. And as closer as the election gets, you, uh, you might see that voters get scared. You know, if I vote in this party and they might lead the government, if they're the strongest party in a coalition, they might truly implement radical reforms, uh, you know, and that could affect me as a German citizen. How am I able to drive? What car I can buy? Just give one example, right? So we'll, we'll see if, if the, how these polls, um, you know, the closer we get to the election day, how, how we'll see um, an effect on, on these um, polls. But because of their strength in these polls, um, the Greens for the first time uh, presented a, a candidate for um, the office of prime minister or chancellor, uh, that's it's called in, in Germany. Um, and they intentionally think back gender quota, selected a woman, all the other candidates are men, are older men. Um, so the idea was out of the two party leaders to nominate uh, Annalena Baerbock. Um, and the decision was kind of lauded by many observers, um, especially because the other party leader, Robert Habeck, wanted to run as well. Um, and he kind of stepped back and said, you know, it's, it's time for, for a woman um, to run. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that the Greens actually say, you know, we want to capture this office and we think we have a clear chance of, of maybe um, having a Green uh, um, a chancellor in, in Germany. Um, there were some unforced errors in the election campaigns with uh, Baerbock and the, her main problem in addition is that she has been in parliament for two terms. 
uh, in the Bundestag, but she lacks any governing experience. So Robert Habeck, he was a minister in a um, uh, state government in Schleswig-Holstein. Uh, and I mean, typically for Germans, it is seen, Angela Merkel was a minister in, in a national government. So it's seen as a prerequisite um, to become chancellor that you have some governing experience. And she's trying to spin this in a way, you know, it's fresh, I'm coming from the outside, I can do things differently. Um, but the question is if, if the voters will buy that and kind of trust her that she can um, actually uh, uh, fulfill the, all the requirements of this office if she hasn't um, held that uh, a similar office um, before. And the question, of course, you know that Germany is a coalition republic, so proportional representation, the Green will have one share they bring into a coalition a negotiation. So the question is, what, who will, um, what will be the strongest party, right? And that party will get the office um, of, not in the election result, but in the resulting coalition. Uh, and so uh, that's the question, what will be the outcome of the coalition? And if the Greens form a coalition with weaker social democrats and weaker liberals, then they might be able to capture that office. But if they again a junior partner, a strong junior partner, probably they will be part of the government, but their government, but there won't be a, a, a green a chancellor. Um, yeah. So my my last slide, um, it's kind of the question, um, you know, that we um, of course, and as we talked before, the Greens uh, profit from the salience uh, of the climate crisis. You know. Green, even though it's just one point of, of their um, uh, policy profile, um, voters say, you know, they have the highest competencies in combating climate change. Uh, and you can see this is a, a, a pupil where you see that, um, you know, if you ask people global climate change is harming, will harm people around the world. Um, now, uh, in the next few years, you can see that, especially Latin America, Europe, overwhelming majority say, you know, this is hurting people right now or very soon. Uh, and that's kind of what, what, what the Greens are also um, are running on, that we need to do something, reduce carbon emissions and, and so on. Um, so with their ecological roots, they profit, um, but with the process of establishment and moderation and kind of moving more to the socioeconomic left, they shed their original radicalism. And so they're closer to catch all parties um, that kind of have to balance competing interests, right? And Kretschmann, Prime Minister in Baden-Württemberg, um, Daimler, Mercedes-Benz uh, has a factory there, right? So he also needs to think about the employment and kind of uh, economic growth. And, and that's hard for the Green Party um, to, to um, balance. And so you do have new actors now, right? You all know Greta Thunberg, um, uh, kind of Fridays for Future, uh, and there's uh, uh, even more um, radical movements. I don't know if you've heard of Extinction, Extinction Rebellion, um, who say, you know, we really need to stage violent protests and we need to do something because the established political actors are just too slow um, in, in reacting. And so the Greens uh, are kind of trying to embrace these movements and tell them we are your representatives in Parliament and we are trying to go in, in that direction. But uh, again, the, the example of Baden-Württemberg in Germany, there was an independent climate list uh, that ran and said, you know, the Greens are too much establishment and they've had the office of prime minister for so long and we're still not, um, it's still not getting better. So we need to, you know, form climate lists and, and push for this um, uh, even harder. Uh, and so the question, that's kind of the question, will the Greens, you know, have credibility and kind of attract those voters or will they defect and go to other more radical 
um, movements and parties that, that say, you know, we need to do something now and not just in five um, or, or 10 years. And that's kind of the challenge that green parties have to balance in, in the upcoming uh, elections. Thank you.